You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, good morning. Are we doing good? I'm surprised. Like, I... uh, my blinds were closed in my office. I get here pretty early on Sunday mornings, and about eight o'clock, I lift my blinds up, and all of a sudden, it's white. And I just saw, oh, it's going to be one of those Sundays. Going to be about fifty people here. Wow, this is impressive. It's great to see you today on a snowy morning, and um, just uh, thank you, thank you for being here. You know. They're telling me, uh, like, we've had a lot of other things, so I'm going to get right to the point, right? But um, what I want to share with you today, I just preference, preface what I want to share with you today. Um, I'm super interested in being very articulate today. And my prayer is that I'm not misunderstood in any way. Uh, as I walk through this passage of scripture in Ephesians. And I'm praying that the Lord will, through the power of his Holy Spirit, take the truth, uh, the general truth of what is shared, and as I talk about it, and try to contextualize it in certain ways, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will do, as he always does, a a much deeper work within us, uh, revealing to us where this might be a place where um, God is wanting to, to continue to tweak and form and frame and forge our identity in him above everything else. If you remember last week, we, we talked about this label of now we are alive. We are alive in Christ. This is the heart of what it means to be a Christ follower, is to have experienced moving from a, a life that's spiritually dead to now a, a life that is alive in Christ. This is why in Christ is this repeated phrase in Ephesians. It is the central idea of, of what this book is trying to then show us, that if you are in Christ then God can work out his plans and purposes, not only in your life, but through you then in his church and out into the world. And so being made alive in Christ is this crux issue that as we walk through this passage today, I want this to be the the baseline for how you understand you should approach this topic we're gonna talk about today. What I'm gonna talk to you about today is something that in our own natural man and strength, we are unable, unable to live uh, the way God wants us to live. You can grit your teeth, pull up your bootstraps, try a little harder, try to educate yourself more, try to, um, try to uh, self-help, improve yourself in all these ways. And I promise you that what Paul is revealing to them and to us about forming and shaping our identity, you will fall short when it comes to this area of your heart and life. It, it just is not possible to move into the identity he calls us to in these last verses in chapter two without being in Christ. Are you with me? 
you guys are wondering, what in the world is he gonna talk about? You know, one thing I wanna remind you is as we are working through this book, and especially these first two chapters, um, he keeps using words like you, we, and us. You, You see, as he's helping us understand our identity, he's already starting to point us to, yes, we need to understand and experience and actuate the finished work of Christ into our life, his grace into our lives, but we are then, that is done for a bigger purpose. And he is continuing to frame and form our identity, and guess what? That looks in stark contrast different than our modern world that we live in. To follow Jesus is to go upstream in any culture. Have you grabbed a hold of that? Have you realized that in your own life? To follow Jesus is to swim upstream against the cultures that we all live in. Not just in the modern 21st century American culture, but uh, in any kind of culture. It's always been that way. To follow Jesus is going to cause you and I to come to this reality that my outlook, my perspective, my lifestyle is not going to flow with the cultures around me. Are you okay with that? All right, like Jesus was very clear, like if you're gonna follow me, count the cost. Like understand what you're, what you're committing to, what you're doing. Now, the benefits far outweigh some of these things, right? But he is saying that when you follow me, you identify with me, uh, there will be a sense where you will look and think and act different than the majority of the people around you. Because of that, you will then be persecuted in various ways. Thankfully, in our particular setting, we have not experienced persecution uh, super harshly yet, right? Or at all. Uh, None of us were worried about going to jail to drive to church today, right? Or being killed for our faith, but the persecutions of following Jesus are many and all around us. You know what it's like to to end a conversation at work, say something, and people are gonna be like, what? Right? Like, we need to grab a hold of this, and, and as he's forming and framing our identity, it is in direct conflict or stands in stark contrast to the culture around us. The culture around us has really bought into this radical individualism, right? 21st century Americana is like John Wayne, right? You, the American dream. Don't fall off with me here, okay? I'm not, I'm not, okay, don't, don't, But you know what I'm talking about. Like we have now in our particular culture sold this idea that you can show up as a penniless immigrant and be a millionaire within 10 years. 
right? If you're willing to put the work in, if you're willing to all these things, I'm not trying to cast off on that, so to speak, all right? I'm personally, I'm grateful for the, the ability to live in a context where there's opportunities, okay? But what it has created, though, is a rugged, ragged, radical individualism. And the problem with that is, is that Jesus and his church is calling us to lose ourselves for the sake of something bigger, Instead of building your brand, building your portfolio, building your resume, Christ is wanting to change our lives so that our primary focus is to build his brand and his kingdom. Are you with me? Does that mean that we forsake... We forsake our careers and our portfolios. Not necessarily. But we bring those things into alignment of our primary purpose of advancing the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You see, there's this stark contrast. And already in Ephesians chapter two, he's beginning to to push us toward find your identity not in yourself, but in we, us, or the church, or the people, the body of Christ. So let's jump in, because I just took a whole lot more time on my intro than I was supposed to. Here's how he starts. Therefore, chapter two, verse 11, therefore, in light of all that I've talked about, being made alive in Christ, knowing what it is to have passed from death to life, knowing what it is to now live a life that's fueled by and built on grace through faith. Therefore, because now he has given you an opportunity to know what it is to have a new life, you you know, we live in a culture that's about turning over new leaves, new resolutions, try harder, do better. And he's saying none of that really works. Amen. Like, you can only get so far, but I'm introducing you to the real possibility of experiencing life, and that's being made alive in Christ. And because I've laid this out for you, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and are called uncircumcision by those who call them the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. And and so he immediately, (laughs) as he's beginning to form and forge our identity, move this a little bit further, help us become people who are truly identified as Jesus followers, as Christians, who are what what it means to be alive and born uh, again in God, he immediately moves to this place and this topic that all of us in some regard struggle with. It's in this word, one word I'm going to highlight today. It's in this word, prejudice. Prejudice. You see, what he does is he says, now that you've been made alive in Christ, he begins to point them right to the thing that so often there's this thing that they dealt with, but it's simply one 
uh, illustration of the larger picture of humanity. Paul is gonna focus on the reconciliation of Jewish people and Gentile people, um, but it really falls into God's bigger move of reconciling humanity from sin and death to life. This social, on the ground, relational transformation of Jew and Gentile coming together cannot be divorced from the greater worldwide move of transferring humanity from the house of the old to the new house under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, God's reconciliation does not stop with me and my does not stop with me and my own sinfulness. It aims to resurrect humanity from the palpable, widespread, systematic brokenness of a world caught under sin and death. Okay? Some of you are like, that was a lot of big words, Chip. Just slow your roll. Let me remind you of the Jew-Gentile context. So God raises up a people through a man named Abraham, right? I'm gonna talk about this in a minute, but Abraham was not Jewish by birth. You understand that, right? He was just, oh, man. Like, he calls him out. You understand the idea of calling out a people that's gonna lead to Jesus Christ. And these Jewish people, he called them to live a lifestyle, to have an identity. I mean, they had strict clothing laws, strict dietary laws, strict marriage laws, strict worship laws, festival laws, custom laws, land laws, every other kind of law. That really, they looked vastly different than every other society around them. And that's the way that God wanted it. He was doing that for a purpose, a time, and a reason right then. And what happened is, the Jewish people, as we all seem to do, lost sight of what God was trying to do. He was trying to create a unique otherness for the world to say, what in the world's going on there? Who is their God? And they, like all of us tend to do in the natural sinful man, they allowed these distinct things God had called them to, and as the special carriers of God's message in the world, it became an excuse for them to have carnal, selfish, self-glorification, a pride about them. They looked around, and because of their lifestyle and the way they lived, they looked at everybody else as inferior. Are you following me? They misappropriated God's plan because this is what sinful man does. Even religious people do this. This is what even religious people that are not in Christ, they take God's good plan and they distort it and they they turn it into these kinds of things. Often prejudice. You gotta understand the Gentiles, they didn't have any understanding of Jewish laws. They never read the book of Leviticus. They were totally clueless about the rules, laws, and regulations. And they actually thought the Jewish people were bizarre because they followed strange rules and laws. And so what this created over time was this, uh, this, this animosity, this hostility 
So much so that the Jewish people had such a, a, a superiority conflict uh, or complex that they even thought things like, in fact, the Jewish people at times would think that Gentiles were created by God for fuel for use in hell. They thought that only Israel was loved of God and all other nations were hated. In fact, they had lawful things to say. It wasn't even lawful to aid a Gentile mother who was giving birth to a baby because you'd be responsible for bringing another Gentile in the world. They didn't want Gentile dirt on their feet. If they traveled through a Gentile land as they entered back into Israel, they would shake the dust off their feet. They didn't even want to bring Gentile dirt back into their country terrible bitterness and animosity. If a Jewish boy or girl married a Gentile, they had a funeral because touching a Gentile in any way physically like that is tantamount to death. That actually still happens today in Orthodox Jewish homes. Because of this, then the Gentiles responded to this. They sensed the animosity, right? You ever been around somebody who just thinks they're better than you? Like everything you do is inferior to what they're doing. How do you respond to that? Yeah, you don't like it. Uh, uh, we, we respond to that. And that's what happened. Not only that being so, but Rome had decided that these Jewish people had all these weird things. You know what? Uh, they're just not going to let them go. And, and um, we, we expect people to worship Caesar and to worship the gods. But these people are so out there that we're just going to give them a pass. And so they let them do their own little thing with their temple. As long as they didn't try to overthrow Rome, they could keep doing their little thing. The problem was, is all the Gentile people around saw the Jewish people getting kind of a special condition. And so it only grew the animosity. Gentiles hate Jews. Jews hate Gentiles. What's sad is initially, when the scriptures were written, the Jewish people saw their purpose as being a light to the Gentiles, right? The promise to Abraham is I'm gonna bless your people so that you might be a light to the world. But over time, what happens in the sinful human heart without being in Christ is we distort that. I mean, think about Jonah, the prophet Jonah, the story of Jonah. He goes to Nineveh, Is Jonah happy about this? No. In fact, he is able to preach a message that saves many people from destruction, and he's angry that he got to help save people. Why? Because, like his nation, he hates Gentiles. And they begin to have contempt toward Gentiles. Gentiles have contempt toward them. And now what is happening is Christ has come into the world and he is reminding them of their primary purpose. The primary purpose of God was to bring all people into relationship with God. Okay, so now I I can tell I'm boring you a little bit. So let's get a little bit better here. Okay, because I would remind you of this, that prejudice is the natural outflow of a sinful heart. 
Prejudice is a judgment or opinion formed before the facts are known, the act of prejudging another person's value, worth, significance, suitability for inclusion within a group based on appearance, race, cultural background, speech, nationality, gender, geography, or personal history. Does this sound like a relevant topic in today's culture? You bet it is. You bet it is. <laughs> you see, the sinful nature gravitates toward a superior attitude. And Paul, as he's writing this, totally gets that if our identity is to be formed, forged into the image of God, that there must be something happens in our lives where we allow our prejudices to be gone. And he uses the Jew Gentile, the, the thing of their day that was right in front of them to not only inform them of what he wants to do through his grace, but it helps to provide a platform for us to understand what he wants to do in our own lives. Our identity should uh, be without prejudice. I mean, we live in a culture where identity and is, comes in making more, being more specific, being more successful, pride in our ethnic backgrounds. I mean, communities do this. We just can't help but do it, right? Like, we just tend to do this. Like, so Friday night, Elida is playing Defiance, okay? I lived in Napoleon for the last seven years. Napoleon and Defiance are eight miles apart. Napoleon and Defiance hate each other. Friends came from Napoleon to watch Keegan play. And even though they were not a part of Elida, they had no affiliation with Elida. Guess what they were rooting for Friday night? They were rooting against defiance, right? We just do this. We create these kind of identities and we want this superiority kind of thing. We're better than you, we're, right? Come on, all you Bath, Elida, Shawnee people in the building. <laughs> I already know enough to know a little bit about that. Because it's true in every community. That's where rivalries come from. That's where, right? And some of that is fun and good nature, except for that oftentimes it leads us to places we should not be. So often we think we need class, status, culture to form our identity to give us meaning and value. And Paul is trying to break that down. I mean, he says this in verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. This was, he's talking to Gentile people as both in that church, but Gentile, remember that you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God. He said, listen, in the scheme of things, these were my people called to bring my message and you were way away from them. I mean, they're in trouble themselves, but you were really in trouble. You didn't even know what God was about. You had no idea of the promise, the covenants of God. You were without hope. I mean, you were totally lost, but look what he says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
For he himself is our peace. Do you notice that? He himself is our peace. Again, back to this idea of being in Christ. We, We pray oftentimes, God, give me peace, as if peace is something that is an entity out there. But the scriptures are continually remind us that we should always be praying, Christ be in my life, because with Christ comes peace. Right? Like, he is peace in who he is. Like, Lord, give me peace about this situation. Uh, The Lord's been working in my own life about this. Lord, just give me yourself. Help me to stay in you. And being in you, will peace will come out of that. Like, I honestly can now live a lifestyle of peace because as I'm connected to Christ, peace is coming. It's not like pray for peace. Oh, I forgot to pray for peace, so I didn't have peace. So pray for peace. It's kind of like this, Like, if I'm in Christ, staying connected to Christ, he is peace. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. There's there's conjecture about what this means. I personally, uh, and I'm the guy speaking today, so you get my version. Sorry. But I think it makes so much sense that he, they would have understand that in the temple in Jerusalem, there are four courts, right? There are the court of Gentiles on the outer rim. Gentiles could go there, but no farther. Then you went into another, there was a wall. You could go into another court. It was the court of women. Women could go there, but guess what? They could go no farther. Then there was the court of Israel where the men could go in to the temple and then there were the court of the priests, obviously getting closer and closer to the Holy of Holies. I think it makes all the sense in the world that Paul, as he's writing this, is saying, listen, what Christ has done in being our peace and in giving himself is he has broken down those walls, of those dividing walls. Gentiles, there is no outer court In fact, guys, the veil in the temple separating the Holy of Holies from everything else has been ripped in two. And now everybody has direct access, right? He's saying, "Uh, listen, you who once were far off, you were in the outer court, now in Christ are as close as the Jewish people, those, the court of women, the court of Uh, Israel, the court of priests even, because now we're called the priesthood of all believers. He did this by setting aside in his flesh, so the cross, the law with its commandments and regulations, this whole idea of what he was trying to set apart people to, now in Christ is what is, is is the thing to be set apart to. It's not following a system. It's, follow, it's simply allowing yourself to be made alive in Christ. His purpose was to create to himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death the hostility that has existed. The thing about this is he's creating himself one new humanity. This word new, a lot of times we use the word new in the sense of I got a new iPhone, right? So I have, I don't even know what I have now. What is there now? Uh, 14, 15, 18, 19, I don't know. 
I think I have a 13 or something like that. And like you go, hey, I got a new iPhone. That's how we talk about new a lot of times in, in, in sense of an upgrade, right? But the word used here is not that. It's better than that. It's a word, it's new in quality. It's like I got the latest car, the Ford Expedition. That's an upgrade. I don't have that, but I'm just using an illustration. But this is the word that, no, this is the Model T car. There hasn't been a car before this. This is new in quality, not just in upgrade, right? Like this is new in the sense of um, I can ride on the latest 747 plane to come off and say I'm riding in a new plane, but this new is the Wright Brothers plane, the first plane ever created kind of new. That's what he is doing when we are in Christ He is absolutely changing everything that has went before and causing mankind who naturally has all its prejudices and this system uh, that flows out of that and he is absolutely wrecking that through the cross, through him becoming our peace. And so I wanna remind you today that in our present culture, Prejudice has not went away. And the world is desperately looking for a place that makes sense. Do you realize that all human beings share 99% of the same DNA? The only the 1% science teacher up here is smiling at me. Only three billion genetic building blocks in our bodies. Three billion. And 99% of it is all the same, everywhere, every human being. Only a tiny amount makes the uniqueness. Uh, Color of skin, color of hair, color of eyes, risk for certain diseases. I say that to remind you that for us to drop prejudice, prejudging, is to understand what is real and factual. That God himself created, I I say this, We talk about racism, that's a popular word. I only understand the human race. To understand biblical thought is to understand only the human race. From one race we came, and what's the kingdom gonna look like? I mean, there's variations, there's a lot of reasons for that, and we actually glory in those variations. It brings a, it brings a uniqueness of the culture and ethnicities. All that is, it just is beautiful, right? It like makes the world beautiful, but at the same sense, we all understand that there's, there's just humans. You cut me, I bleed red. Cut Asian people, they bleed red, Amen? Okay, you with me? I don't want to get off track here. What I'm trying to get at is as we are for, as our identity is being formed in Christ, he goes right to the heart of what it means to lose yourself for the sake of something bigger. And the part of that is to see yourself as completely equal to everyone else around you. We drop the superiority, inferiority, class systems, races, all that stuff is just blown up in Christ. He has destroyed the dividing walls of hostility in him. The church desperately needs, desperately needs to model this for a world 
that is absolutely still tied up with one another. Amen. Let me just drop a few things for you. Actually, what the scriptures is teaching us is non-prejudiced is not the goal. Anti-prejudice is the goal. As the people of God, as this platform of Jew-Gentile providing a platform for us to see that God has always been for all mankind, that we are created equal, that we should live in this sense. It's like, hey, people of God, church of God, come together, establish this identity, and don't just look at the world around you and say, it's so sad that it's like this. Have you been that person? Where you're, I'm not prejudiced but I don't really actively seek to try to push back against the prejudices that may exist around me. The church of Jesus Christ is called to actively become people who, you know, in that first century setting, a Jewish man would come in and say, hey, you're a Gentile. If you're a Christian, you still need to do these Jewish things. The right response for somebody who's in Christ is to look at the Jewish man and say, no, He could say, well, I'm friends with the Jew and I'm friends with the Gentile. I'm just kind of neutral. No, his role was to say, don't tell them that. That's not true. Stop pushing that narrative, right? Push back against the falsehood. So too, we are called to push back against the prejudices that live in our world. We mirror the image of God when we're the people of God who see everybody as the same and we're willing to speak out. I've mentioned race, but this goes, prejudice goes far beyond race. Economic status. There's this whole thing, especially in our country, where I have witnessed, I've grown up with men that I went to church with who would say things about other economic statuses would look down on the poor or those who were struggling and needed welfare or on the same vein I've been with those who have been poor who have looked upon those who have means and have had a prejudice toward them amen like God is calling us to break down every prejudice that would exist in our heart. Uh, social. I, I, my dad is a, um, is a southern boy. So I've been around. Like, listen, I, <laughs> I can say this. I'm in the north. But the south, some, some places are still fighting the Civil War. And they, they call you a Yankee. Right? And then we look at eh, Southerners, they say something to your face and stab you in the back kind of thing, right? I'm just using very generic, broad illustrations to say that prejudices, where we come from, who we're a part of, what we think, uh, uh, is, exist everywhere. And the people of God are to look at one another and not have a prejudice against you. Skin color, economic status, social class, intellectual ability. I mean, come on, we got this whole blue collar, white collar thing that's existed in our culture. We got this whole battle on on so many places. Belief systems, like your label is, if your label's not my label, if you don't believe everything I believe, then I prejudge you. I judge you because you don't fit my thing. Prejudices run rampant. 
unless we are in Christ. And when we get together as the body of Christ and allow God to wash that out of our life, we become this city on a hill that shines to a world that thrives on this kind of stuff, but desperately wants out of it. I would remind you of this, that we will not talk or law our way out of prejudice. The only way we can get out of our prejudices is that we will experience our way out of prejudice. Are you intentionally moving toward those who don't look like you? Have you intentionally moved those who aren't in your economic or social class? Have you intentionally developed friendships? Look at Jesus, man. He grabs an eclectic group of his disciples, fishermen, tax collectors, religious zealots, all this kind of stuff. He just blends them all together and he breaks down the prejudices they have with one another and unites them in one common purpose to change the world. Verse 17, he came near and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Peace is this idea of in this, in Christ, we are willing to drop our prejudice and we only want peace. And that peace only came through the reconciliation that Christ made for us on the cross. I would remind you of that, that peace only comes through reconciliation that if we are going to bring peace into this world, the peace of God as having peace, Christ himself in us, that we will always be agents of looking to bring healing and reconciliation and we will resist the impulses of prejudice that can exist in our heart and life. Uh, listen, when I'm preaching today, I'm not looking at you thinking you're a bunch of prejudiced people. You understand that? That's not in my mind. But I also understand that in my own heart, the Lord has shown me places where this whole inferior, superior kind of thing or can exist in my own heart and life. And I want to look at everyone the same. Is that too much for you? If it is, then I'd say, just look in your own heart. I'm not any different than you. But this is such an important reality of our identity being formed in Christ. For through him, verse 18, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit that this whole idea of there is no Jew or Gentile, there is no male or female, there is no slave or free, there is no, it's broken down at the cross of Jesus Christ, through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that actually as we have, we are in Christ, we begin to live that peace out as he is peace. And we begin to see and act and live as 
as with no prejudices around us. And actually he says that as you do that, you build on who I am as the cornerstone, the apostles message, the foundation, you become this living building, this temple, and you and I embody this reconciliation to the world. I would say this, that if the world is to be healed, the church, the church is the answer. And we are to be people who lose our prejudices for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Father, I would not ever want to be misunderstood as like I'm standing up here talking to people that I think are prejudiced. I don't, I don't at all. But I know that this is the battleground so often and, and where we can be tempted to fall into different prejudices against people. And, and Lord, part of our identity in Christ is to lose prejudice, to embody reconciliation. Lord, the only way I can look at everybody the same, regardless of, of economic status, regardless of social standing, regardless of intellectual, whatever, Lord, if I can look at people the same, it's only as you are in me, seeing them as you see them. We are all equal. God is no respecter of persons. Lord, help me to live that out to speak that out. Help me not to just have an attitude of, well, I'm not prejudiced. I, I, help me to actually actively push back against prejudices that exist all through our world in all different ways. And Lord, help me to move toward those places that are different than me, all for the sake of including people into the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how our identity is forged. This is how we become people that are bigger than our own selves, but are a part of your church. And in so doing, we bring the light that this world desperately needs. Healing. Father, help us, I pray. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with me today. Have a great week. And a blessed day. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.